This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Casual Podcast. Please sign up for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. One of the cool things about the club is that we can uh, share deals with each other within the group. So if you guys are seeing something out there that I'm not, often you guys are the best watchdogs. And uh, let me know and I'll let you know what I think. I'll throw it into the analyzer and tell you how I'm seeing the deal. And maybe the whole Hui Deal Pipeline Club can start investing in something that you're seeing. I know a bunch of other investors have brought to me another non-performing note fund, which is similar to HP, except it is more of an equity instead of just a 12% rate of return. I'm not going to invest in it, but I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, I wouldn't have seen it unless another Hui Deal Pipeline Club member brought it to me. If you guys are interested in that, please go to the website networking tab and and sign up for the form there. Today, I have a guest and it's not going to be a normal interview. It's going to be more of a, a learning interview today. I have Andy LaPointe. And now Andy is a Bitcoin expert. He started getting involved in technology in 2013, and he spent 15 years in the corporate world as a registered investment advisor, you know, series seven stockbroker and mutual fund wholesaler. But he offers a deep knowledge of financial markets, blockchain technology, asset allocation, risk tolerance, and cryptocurrency information. How's it going, Andy? Hi, Lane. Going very, very well. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And the nice thing about when I, when I heard about your show in addition to everything that you described, I actually had my state of Michigan real estate license from age 18 until 24. So I sold my way through college by selling residential and commercial real estate. And I actually paid for about half of my half of my college with my real estate license. So from 18 to 24, I was a licensed realtor too. So I can understand what your real estate investors are going through and how to look at different portfolios and different asset classes from a real estate investment advisory, and then a now cryptocurrency portfolio as well. How'd you kind of make that transition to uh, making cryptocurrency your topic of choice these days? Well, and that's a great question. I mean, I left the corporate world in 2009 after 15 years of being a registered investment advisor. We were talking before the show, you know, we're, we're all investors at heart. And the technology is what really attracted me to cryptocurrency because when I was a registered investment advisor in the late 90s, I was able to get some IPOs of some of the hottest IPOs out there. For example, uh, Netscape, which was one of the hottest search engine IPOs back in the mid 90s. And approaching it from an investment advisory standpoint with return on capital, return on investment is, you know, is extremely important. But it's also good to know and understand the technology behind it. So in reality, I really started getting into the technology aspect of it being an investment advisor in the late 90s. And when I heard about cryptocurrency and blockchain, that was just the next generation of the internet. So it's, I mean, like it or not, cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, it's here to stay just like the internet. And, you know, there's a lot of exciting things going on in the sector. Yeah, so let's kind of do the 30,000 foot view. And, you know, I'll kind of preface this and say my own thoughts going into this. I'm not investing in Bitcoin and other kind of cryptocurrency. I just stay in my lane and I focus in on, you know, real estate deals at the moment. I like the cash flow. I like that it's a hard asset. And then I like to uh, use leverage, which I don't see it, see the same. I don't see 
any kind of Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency offering. So that's just why I'm not a fan. But, you know, as I tell the listeners, you know, one of the questions is like, you know, what is something that you've always thought in your head, which, you know, I'm not a fan of Bitcoin at this moment, but always have an open mind and always be learning because you can apply different things to different, different kinds of investment or what do you do in the future? So with that said, Handy, what, what is blockchain and cryptocurrency? Well, and that, the, the blockchain is, a, is actually the technology of a particular coin. So, for example, there's over 1,100 different cryptocurrencies to date out there. And just like when you invest in real estate, for example, you have different categories of real estate. You have your vacant real estate. You have your commercial real estate. You have your industrial real estate. You have your resort vacation real estate. Each one has a different purpose and serves a different purpose from an investment standpoint. Cryptocurrencies is exact same way. So as I mentioned, there's about 1,100 different cryptocurrencies out there. Each one of those cryptocurrencies has its own blockchain. So just like a real estate or stocks, they have their own silo or blockchain. And each one of those blockchains, hopefully the development team is creating something that's unique and specific to that underlying blockchain, which makes it more valuable. Blockchain from a 30,000 foot view is the technology that the coin derives its value from. That's one of the reasons to do that. And a blockchain is basically, if you think of a blockchain where it's number one, open to the public, number two, it's distributed, and number three, it can never be changed. So for example, it's similar to when you buy a piece of real estate. You buy a piece of real estate and you go to the title company, then a title company goes and registers it at the register of deed. You have that, that chain of ownership and then you could have some clouds on the title or something like that. That's very much similar how a blockchain works from a 30,000 foot view. When you purchase real estate, you can go back and see who purchased the same piece of real estate all the way back through the register of deeds and so on and so forth. But the nice thing about blockchain is that takes it to the next level. Within the next five to 10 to 15 years, the entire world, every, almost every industry in the world will be on blockchain. And the nice thing about that is number one, it can't be changed. And a block is basically, if you kind of look at it as, a, as Lego blocks, putting one Lego block on your right hand, one on your left hand and bringing them together and then adding a third block and a fourth block. Each one of those blocks has information specific to that block. And the long and short of it, that's blockchain. So you can do it from a personal status too. Carfax, in essence, is a blockchain where you can go back and look at all the information for Carfax. Also, going forward in the future, you're going to have the financial services on blockchains. And probably within the next 10 or 15 years, registered investment advisors, since that's, that's my background in particular, their annual performance is going to be registered in blockchains. So you're going to be able to go back and see how they actually perform. And also, the nice thing about blockchains, it can also verify. It basically creates trust in a trustless world. Today, there's a lot of digital piracy, for example. With blockchain, an artist or an author can create, I don't know, let's say a million copies of a song that's distributed. And a million copies, you would purchase a copy, I would purchase a copy, and another you know, 999,000 people would purchase a copy of that. Every one of those people who purchased a copy of a particular song or of a particular publication, that 
identification will be listed on a blockchain. So in the future, if you purchase something, at, or excuse me, if you're an artist and you sell something and it's pirated, you can, you can link back ID number 1234 back to John Smith who purchased it you know, four years ago. But if it's out there on 15 other uh, servers, that's going to help protect digital pri uh, piracy as well. So that's an another example how blockchain is going to work. Yes, because I've seen that with downloading MP3s. I think they append the previous code within the ID tag and they just keep adding on, adding on, adding on. Yep. That's exactly right. So the long and short of it, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's, there's, a, you know, there's more technical stuff that goes into that, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But in essence, that's blockchain. And each one of the blockchains, that's what derives value to the coin. And basically, Bitcoin, it's basically digital gold. It allows you to send a digital coin over the Internet to anyone in the world. So it's a peer-to-peer -peer network that's openly distributed and 100% transparent because all transactions are recorded on the blockchain. And the nice thing about it is it's a distributed ledger. It's not centralized. Where number one, there's only 21 million Bitcoins that's ever going to be created. So it's a deflationary situation. So that's why number one, that's one of the reasons the price is going up in Bitcoin because it's deflationary. But also number two, as more and more people are using Bitcoin, there's a, more and more merchants and larger market acceptance of Bitcoin. Again, that's the other reason that you're driving the price of Bitcoin. But also with that public transaction, although it's, it's an anonymous transaction where, let's say, for example, when you look at a dollar bill, a dollar bill has a specific serial number in it, written right on a dollar bill, okay? Lane, you take that dollar bill from your wallet and you give that dollar bill and I put it, I take my wallet out of my pocket and I put that dollar bill in my wallet. That serial number is going to be recorded on the blockchain, but it's not going to say it came from Lane to Andy. It's going to say it came from wallet 1234 went to wallet number 456. So there is a, an ability to be anonymous in Bitcoin, but not as anonymous as some people think. So Bitcoin, is, Bitcoin transactions are traceable, but there are other coins out there that are 100% anonymous because they do use newer technology. And that's what I like to call crypto 2.0. These ledgers, where are they stored? I mean, is this where like the little Bitcoin wallets come into play? Yes, exactly. The ledgers is a distributed ledger, which means it's not stored in one place. And back in the, the 2008 real estate crisis, okay, the banks had the ability that, well, let me back up. To answer your question, it's a distributed ledger, which means there's no central place where all that information is stored. It's stored, as you mentioned, in individual blocks on individual computers and individual servers all around the world. So the blockchain cannot be shut off. Unlike in 2008, where you had the real estate crisis, where banks were, they weren't, they weren't creating mortgages. You know, they, they, they weren't loaning out cash because of the real estate crisis of 2008. They had the ability to basically flip a switch and turn off funding to many of the people on your phone listening to this call. But, the, but unlike blockchain, you can't do that. So it's a distributed ledger. ledger. It's not a centralized authority. So that's the benefit of blockchain. It, it can't be turned off. So when you and I do a transaction with our little Bitcoin wallets, does that get uploaded 
I mean, it, it gets stored in, in our physical devices, but does that get uploaded to the cloud and get resynced? Uh, more or less, yes. It gets resynced and then added to the block. That transaction that you and I just did, Lane, let's say that's block number 772. That, and there's 50,000 you know, 50, other transactions that are blocked together to give us that block 772. So that's how it basically is. Or if you look, look at your, uh, another example is your computer. Your hard drive has all your different files on it. In essence, your hard drive can be viewed as one block, and you have all those different files in it. And once you max out your hard drive to the one TIG or two TIG, that's indicated as a block. And then that block, everything inside that block is recorded in a public ledger on the blockchain. Does that make sense? So what happens when you one of us loses our physical devices? Is there a way to get it back and reconcile? Yes, that, that's the nice thing about it is there's a way to get it back by using a 12-word code. So in essence, that's a great question because in essence, you don't have to carry around your wallet. You can store your Bitcoins, quote-unquote, online. You can travel from Hawaii to South Korea to Guam to Venezuela and log into your Bitcoin wallet with your with a 12 digit or excuse me a 12 word password that you created or wrote down or memorized and you can access your Bitcoin anywhere you want in the world. Hmm. So literally you could, you could have $10,000 worth of Bitcoin sitting on the uh, blockchain and that's yours. Nobody can take that away from you because you have access to access to that anywhere in the world. That's where the distributed ledger comes in. Yeah, I want to kind of um, get your thoughts on, you know, you mentioned the deflationary nature of cryptocurrency. And, you know, one of the cool things that I like about the technology is how it kind of takes power away from the nations, whether, you know, it's good or bad. I mean, I think we can all agree that with all this QE, the only way they're going to get the money back is to inflate the money supply, good or bad. Personally, I mean, like, live in one of the best nations with the best military that can go beat up other nations. So the United States controls the money, the world currency. I think blockchain is something that China, Russia, United States cannot control. This thing probably scares a lot of nations and maybe a lot of nations possibly want to take it down or put some negative press out there. What's your thoughts on that, Andy? Um, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, first and foremost, I firmly believe in paying my taxes, being a, gr a good corporate citizen from that standpoint, because as you mentioned, our taxes goes to pave our roads, goes to rebuild our mo roads, it goes to our military, which protects us and our, and our way of life. So from that standpoint, it's very challenging for, for nations to control because it's not centralized. It's a decentralized ledger. But what's interesting, what you bring up, Russia, Venezuela, China, also former Soviet bloc countries in the Baltic regions, they're actually talking and creating a one coin for about a dozen and dozen and a half of those countries. So in essence, what they're trying to do is create, let's say, a Russia coin. And what that's going to allow them to do is those dozen or dozen and a half countries within that quote-unquote trading block, instead of using U.S. dollars, okay, they're going to be trading with the Russian coin. So all 12 of those countries are going to be trading, for example, using the Russian coin. So not only, unfortunately, is that going to chip away at the, the stability 
of the U.S. and the world, our political stability, if you like the politics or not, just our political stability as an example of greatness to other countries, but also our monetary stability, unlike Venezuela or Greece, because we do have that the, the stability of the U.S. dollar. But with cryptocurrency, other countries can do that. And as I mentioned, unfortunately, it will kind of chip away at the, the power of the U.S. dollar. It's also going to cause a brain drain of many people across the world that are able to understand blockchain technology. And number one, they're either going to start moving to these countries, possibly out of the U.S., out of Hawaii, out of Silicon Valley, moving to one of these countries that support this blockchain, this one Russian coin. Or in addition, they're going to be working remotely with this Russian coin to you know, build out the blockchain through sales channels, through marketing channels, through blockchain technologies, sales administration. So there, there's a lot of challenges that actually blockchain does bring to governments, also corporations, because what it also does for corporations too, it pulls back the veil of a certain unique selling advantage. For example, Ford has its own proprietary system from the dealership all the way to the boardroom. GM, although they're in the same industry, also has their own proprietary information from the sales room to manufacturing to the boardroom. Blockchain is going to bring those veils down so they're going to be able to communicate. Right now, they, there's no cross-communication between corporations other than the U.S. dollar. But now you're going to have manufacturing blockchains. For example, there's a, there's a coin out of China called VenCoin, V-E-N coin. That's the ticker symbol. And what they're doing is they are fighting counterfeit goods coming out and into China. Because as you know, I mean, unfortunately for China, their reputation, not so much today, was very tarnished, you know, five, six, seven years ago for all of the, the low quality and counterfeit goods coming out of China, attacking American brands, international brands. What this coin is going to do, and this blockchain is particularly going to do, it's going to, okay, there's four, four pieces that go in to make this bottle of wine. You have the grapes, you have the, the glass, you have the cork, you have the label, okay? Each one of those components to create this bottle of wine is going to be registered on the blockchain. Those four components will be sourced out of the source. Those four components will be blocked into one block. And then going forward, the exporter from China, ABC exporter out of China, is going to have the authentication, which is on the public blockchain. Anyone can look, customs, the end user, anyone can look at that brand, that UPC code, that identification code, and see if it's 100% authentic. So it's going to bring down a lot of veils in the government world, as well as the corporate world. But more importantly, as the consumers, it's actually going to bring down the magic, for example, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. When they pull, when they pull the curtain back from the great Oz, that's what's going to happen in the corporate world, as well as in the governmental world. Cool. So sort of like a chain of custody with uh, like certificates attached to that. That's exactly right. Because up until this point, you could not verify that across country borders. In the U.S., the nice thing about the U.S. is we have one of the best governmental oversights in the world, from the SEC to the USDA to the FDA. And I'm a firm believer in all of that. So I'm a much more, when I learned about blockchain and its capability, that's what got me hooked on blockchain technology. And of course, you know, the coins are secondary, but most importantly, it's, this can really do this. 
this is going to be a part of our life, just like the internet was. Because back in the mid 90s, nobody knew what the internet was. I mean, the internet, you know, Al Gore, of course, started the internet. So it was even before that. But the point of the matter is, nobody knew what the internet was and how it would affect our lifestyle. Just like electronic mail, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't taste it. Email is actually one of the best things that came out of the internet from a productivity standpoint, from a communication standpoint, because a lot of people can argue that the internet itself actually decreased productivity because of social media, Facebook, and everything you can do and waste time at work. But email was one main component of the internet that actually increased productivity. You know, you have to take the spam out and everything, but the long and short of it, I mean, email was a big leap forward and blockchain technology is that next leap forward. I wanted to say thank you to all the Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. The content has been all over the place from turnkey rentals to turkey rentals and now to syndications and private placements. The feedback from some of you is that it's been a bit of a roller coaster or Korean drama to follow the website's content. To memorialize the past and clean up things, I have created a free web course to get you up to speed by signing up at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start. Or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767. Again, join the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start. Or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767. All right, let's talk a little bit about guys are listening and they want to check a few ticker symbols. What are some good resources to look up? And then how do you get started buying this stuff? Yeah, up until about two or three years ago, it was, it was really a challenge because uh, cryptocurrencies were decentralized. I mean, there's only a couple of ways that you can actually purchase cryptocurrencies. You can't go into your local brokerage office and say, hey, I want to buy you know five Bitcoin or two Bitcoin or whatever it is. Where five or six years ago, one of the easiest ways to do it was a peer-to-peer, where you actually go to a meetup and someone's selling a Bitcoin and you're buying a Bitcoin, you can actually do that. And a website called localbitcoins.com, if you want to buy from an individual in person, you can go to localbitcoins.com. And that's done on a local level, you know, at the local coffee shop and stuff like that. There are some centralized exchange that are being created. One of them, for example, the most popular is Coinbase, and that's Coinbase.com. And the nice thing about Coinbase is you can actually fund it with U.S. dollars. So you can wire in money directly from your bank account. You can put it on a debit card, or which I wouldn't recommend. You can even buy it on a credit card, but don't do that. (laughs) That doesn't make sense to do that. But anyways, Coinbase gives you the ability to invest in Bitcoin with U.S. dollar, so just like when you go to a brokerage house, you go to the brokerage house, you wire in $10,000, you buy 500 shares of Ford stock, for example, Ford stocks get credited to your account. That money goes through the brokerage, goes into the seller's account, you know, at a different exchange in the UK or overseas and South Korea, for example. So Coinbase.com is a good place to get started because they do have a number of different coins. Bitcoin, of course, which is the most well-known. Then you have Ethereum, which is basically the second most popular and the second largest cryptocurrency available. The nice thing about Ethereum is that's generation crypto 2.0. But to buy it, go to Coinbase.com. To begin your research, go to the website CoinMarketCap.com. And basically what this is, this lists out all 1,100 cryptocurrencies 
and you can sort by name, you can sort by 24 hour high, 24 hour low, you can sort by market capitalization. But what I'd recommend is go to coin market cap, sort by capitalization. Capitalization is uh, how large the coin is in the marketplace. Sort by capitalization and invest in only the top 10 or 15 coins of capitalization max. Because number one, the larger the capital capitalization, the more proven the coin, but that's unfortunately not always necessarily true. So when you look at cryptocurrencies, Number one, of course, you want to look at the capitalization because that does give it credibility. But number two, before you invest a penny in any crypto, you're going to want to do three things. Number one, you're going to want to invest in a develop. You want to research the development team behind the blockchain. Okay. You want to know they have the technological capability. They have the experience to actually do what they're saying they're going to do. Number two, you're going to want to read the white paper of the underlying blockchain, which was written by the developers. Number three, you're going to want to visit the website of the particular coin of the blockchain. And then number four, read the different forums, for example, like Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T.com, because each one of the coins or blockchain technologies has their own forum channels. That's how you get started doing your research. And again, don't invest in any, any coin until you do your research. Those are the four steps to do that is uh, invest in a team, research the team, read the white paper, visit their website, and then read the forums. That way, you're doing, number one, your own due diligence. And number two, you're comfortable with the technology because the worst thing anyone can do, Lane, is take money, put it into investment, number one, that they don't understand. And number two, they can't watch because cryptocurrency is very volatile. It's probably one of the most volatile commodities since in recent history. It's even more volatile than the internet boom of the late 90s. So, and, that, and that's what we've done in our course at BitcoinLearningCenters.com. We kind of walk folks through on what to look for, how to get started, but most importantly is how to understand the technologies, the different types of cryptocurrencies available, how to open an account and invest in an account, different investment strategies, and you know what are the drawbacks for cryptocurrencies too. And that, that's what I created in my course, the BitcoinLearningCenters.com. Uh, a couple other good resources are debrit d-e-r-i-b-i-t.com that's d-e-r-i-b-i-t.com and another resource that i got here is livecoinwatch.com another good tracker there so you mentioned like okay, so these de developers it's the key right because there's all these different teams of developers making this blockchain and Simplistically, it's just a bunch of numbers on top of the numbers. But what are these developers working on? Like, what takes them so long? Like, what is the technology that's setting one currency apart from the other? That's a great question. With, for example, Bitcoin, we can go back to Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first successful digital money. Basically, the purpose of that was to prove the concept, to prove the white paper that digital money, number one, could be created and used in the real world. Number two, it was peer-to-peer. -peer. And number three, it actually allowed the technology to move forward. And thanks to the internet, the internet technology, that's of course what created the online money payment system such as Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you have the ability to make and send transactions as well as record transactions on the blockchain. Okay, so I like to call that crypto 1.0. Crypto 2.0 is a theorem. I mentioned that earlier, and the ticker symbol on that is ETH. And by the way, 
Ethereum is the platform that the Russia coin, for example, is being built on. And when I say crypto 2.0, Ethereum is the leader. So basically, Ethereum allows smart contracts to be built. And a smart contract is an ability to have two individuals come up with their own terms, come up with their own agreements without a lawyer, and put that to the blockchain. And I'll, and I'll give you a good example. Let's say, for example, you're hiring a builder to build a duplex for your personal portfolio. And a builder says, okay, from time I get the building permit until the final CFO, it's going to be 90 days, okay? Three 30-day increments. He's going to charge you $90,000 to build that duplex for you, okay? And a smart contract, because um, my dad was a commercial real estate superintendent for one of the largest commercial developers in the Detroit area. So I grew up in commercial real estate as a handyman with my brother who was basically the working under my dad. We, we did all the refurb, all the tear outs, all the rebuilds down to the studs. We did, we did pretty much everything but plumbing. But most importantly is the builders are notoriously for being late on their delivery date, their CFO. They're always, you know, seven days or 10 days or 15 days late. No matter what, they're always late. Okay. And that's been my experience. But with a smart contract, you can say, okay, here's $90,000. We're going to write a smart contract. In 30 days, you need to complete the foundation. You need to complete the frame out and you need to have the insulation in. In 30 days, if the builder meets those predetermined agreements, they get that one-third draw, that $30,000 or hit their account. If the insulation isn't in, they're only going to get $27,000 of that. So there's no more, we're running late, you still owe me. On the 60-day mark, there's another preset benchmark. So who's the person who sets the, yes, it got done on this day? No, it did that's not. The smart, that, that, that's the smart contract. That's where the smart tra- contract comes into play. You can put that in, and, and again, yeah, we're, but who, we're still who's the person? In- who's the person dictating that? I mean, is like the Bitcoin wallet have a video and can yes say yes, the roof got put on? I mean, who's saying it got done or not? Or is it still a transaction it, between two individuals? Yep, that's a very good question. And with the Ethereum smart contracts, you have different dApps or different components, for example, that can be built on the, onto the blockchain of the smart contract. So for example, to ensure delivery was done there by the third day, the smart contract, and again, this is second, and we're looking at three and five years in the future, but smart contracts is the way it's gonna go. And that's built upon the Ethereum blockchain. So what's gonna happen in this example, three days from now, UPS is gonna deliver the material for the foundation the smart contract is going to be able to pull that UPS tracking from the supplier of the concrete as well as the supplier of the mortar and everything else that goes into it and see if it's delivered on three days now from Wednesday. If it's delivered in the contract, the contractor says, okay, this, this part of the contract has been fulfilled. Take it off. Three days later, three days later, yes, everything does have to be recorded and everything does have to have a drop-dead decision date from that standpoint. And that example, that, for example, that can be tied to the building inspector coming and doing his building inspection and having the sign-off on the 15th day of the month and then recording that at the county building, which is interfaced with the blockchain. So once that building inspector 
records his inspection for the electrical, so to speak. He signs off on the electrical. He goes back and he records that. That's recorded into the blockchain. That's incorporated into the smart contract. This is, okay, stage four has completed the smart contract. These, these four stages have completed. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so what I'm thinking is like, you know, on eBay, you know, now you have to input your tracking information. So it just gets kind of wound up in the big data blob that they got. Yeah, I mean, with, well, with right now, I mean, I own another business as well where we, where we ship a lot of hard products as well as I own a digital, a digital download business too. And we also sell on Amazon, for example. So when I sell something on Amazon, Amazon says, okay, this has to ship tomorrow, Tuesday. Tomorrow, Tuesday, it's recorded in Amazon that it shipped because UPS is going, offers and automatically generates a UPS tracking code that gets entered into the Amazon system at the end of the day of Tuesday. So that fulfilled the first part of my smart contract. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this, it was shipped. So, so yes, there's a lot. There, we're still in the very beginning stages, just like we were in the very beginning stages of the Internet in 1993 and 1994, because the Internet really didn't get big until the late 90s. You had AOL and stuff like that, but it really didn't get big until the late 90s. But that's how smart contracts are going to work. So what are some of the other that? features that are getting on, added on top of this? What is the 3.0? Is it security or... Yes, the, the 3.0, that adds the, the smart contracts, but the, the disadvantage about a, a, a crypto 2.0, if there's a, it's built in basically one long blockchain, okay? Crypto 3.0 is going to have side blockchains. So for example, instead of having one long blockchain of, let's say, 10 blocks, each one of those blocks has 10 different transactions in them. So you have 100 different transactions in this blockchain. Block number one is going to have five different side blockchains. So, for example, in the uh, building example that we just talked about a few minutes ago, block number one will have the plumbing inspection CFO on a side blockchain. Block subcomponent of block number one, part B, will have the, the building component, subcomponent, Block number one, C, is going to have the heating and cooling contractors and this heating and cooling permit. That side blockchain, all those will be completed. Once they're completed, that group of blocks will be basically lumped together and put into the main blockchain. So what that does, it allows more information to be stored on the blockchain. So it's going to be very detailed in the next three to five to ten years. Right. So in terms of security, I mean, what's, what's to stop somebody from just breaking the code? That's the biggest fear of a lot of individuals. But number one, the blockchain, since it's a public ledger, the longest blockchain wins. So for example, if someone tries to break the code of a blockchain, and since it, it's a distributed ledger, that change in the blockchain has to be confirmed by 50 or 75 other nodes of the blockchain. So if you go in there and create a transaction, and you're the only one creating that transaction and adding it to the blockchain, if it's not confirmed by, let's say, 49 other nodes on the blockchain, that transaction is not going to be recorded on the blockchain. So that's going to prevent folks from going in and basically stopping or corrupting the blockchain because you have cross-confirmation, and that's for the benefit of distributed ledger. Because right now, anyone can go in and unfortunately steal our personal identification. With blockchain, our different 
components of our personal identification are going to be stored in different pieces all over the blockchain. So right now, if, if, a, if a hacker hacks a company database, they're able to access your name, your social security number, your date of birth, your first city you were born in, you know, your pet's name or whatever you put for that profile. On the blockchain, that's going to be separated out into different nodes around the blockchain from that standpoint. So they're not going to be able to get a full access. So for personal identity, the blockchain is going to be a huge leap forward. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the problems too, right? Because right now it's, it's sort of like transacting with gold. I mean, it, it takes a while for you and me to do a Bitcoin transaction, but some of the future ones are going to be a lot quicker. Like what, what's the, how are they making that happen by keeping security? That's a good question because right now, I mean, the, the, to purchase or sell gold and to purchase and sell real estate, it's very time consuming and cumbersome, of course, because you have to, in gold, for example, you have to have it in your hand. You have to go find a buyer you have to personally deliver it to the buyer or send it FedEx, you know, tracking FedEx over the mail or go through a broker. That can take anywhere from two to 30 days. Real estate, you can't move a piece of real estate in less than, you know, 15 to 90 days, even if you're paying cash, you still, you still want to do your title clearance. But with Bitcoin, Bitcoin transactions are usually done before it really hit the mainstream. Bitcoin transactions were usually done within two to three minutes. Now, Bitcoin transactions are taking anywhere up for upward of 10 to 15 minutes. So it's, it's, you're, you're 100% right. It is slower than a Visa or a cash transaction, but that's where the side blockchains come in, where instead of every single transaction individually placed onto the blockchain, stretching out that blockchain where everyone has to confirm your buck 99 purchase at the local coffee shop, those smaller transactions will be kicked over to the side blockchain. They'll be quote-unquote quasi-confirmed on the side blockchain, and then you'll get a temporary confirmation, and then you get a permanent confirmation, and it'll, be, it'll definitely speed up the blockchain. Public service announcement, guys. For all the non-folks news and commentary not found on this podcast, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash club and sign up for the Hui Du Pipeline Club to get the newsletter with the latest happenings as I make the journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. That's the other thing, right? Like the ease of use and the speed of quickness. Like when, at what point is this thing going to try and replace MasterCard and Visa and the new, what I think is going to change the world, the Amazon payment system? It's already in place right now. There, there's already Bitcoin. Well, the, the, the UK had a, had a Biwala gift card, or excuse me, had a Biwala Visa or MasterCard. I don't know, but you could only use it in the UK. But the thing about it is, is you can actually you could actually fund a debit card with Bitcoin, which was underlied by a Visa approved merchant bank. OK, so you got a Visa debit card, Visa debit card by ABC Bank in the UK or it was just it was only based in Europe. But you could fund your debit card just like you do with cash and anywhere Visa is taken. You could pay with your Visa card out of your debit, which was funded by Bitcoin. In that arrangement, Visa is sort of playing escrow or broker, and they're taking their cut. At what point exactly. do those can we squeeze all those companies not adding any value out? Right now, you can do it now. But but how is you can, it? You can, but as I understand it, right now the way it's working, Visa and Mastercard are intermediary, or they're they're playing both broker. That's exactly right, and that's what happened with the Biwala card. Is they actually just shut it down three or four days ago. 
So everybody in Europe that had, you know, 50 bucks or $200 and they're prepaid visa sponsored or, Amer or American or MasterCard sponsored debit card was shut down. Unlike the, the Bitcoin, um, there's no central authority. So one person cannot shut it down. So to answer your question, the only thing that's holding back the speed of acceptance of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is acceptance is basically two things. Number one, ignorance of the marketplace. And I don't mean to mean that in any other way that other than saying people don't know it's out there. That's what I mean by ignorance in the marketplace. But number two is the acceptability of merchants, for example, to be able to buy and sell goods. But you can actually do that now. You can go and download from Bitcoin.com. You can download a digital wallet to your phone. You can fund it with, I don't know, let's say $50 worth of Bitcoin. You can go to Coinbase, buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, take that to your digital phone. Now it's on your digital phone. You can go to a coffee shop. If they accept Bitcoin, you can send it directly from your digital phone to their Bitcoin address which is basically like their street address. You know, I'm, I'm sending a piece of mail from, you know, my house to 1234 Elm Street, but you use a QR code to scan their address so you're not typing it in, but you can do that now. The point of the matter is there's just, there's only about 15 or 20,000 merchants that accept Bitcoin. I mean, you have everyone from overstock.com, one, one of the largest retail, online retailers accepting Bitcoin down to smaller gourmet food businesses, Traverse Bay Farms. You have other local farm markets that are actually starting to accept Bitcoin. When you go and buy fruits and veggies, instead of swiping your PayPal card on the square, you just scan your QR code. So it's being more accepted into the marketplace. And that is done just as fast as a debit or a credit card purchase. But at this it's moment, is, it, the, the is it MasterCard and Visa's backing up the individual transactions? No, it's it's peer to peer. It's Bitcoin. You can you can you can go down. You can go to BitPay.com, or you can go to Bitcoin.com. They're both wallets, but go to Bitcoin.com or BitPay.com. BitPay.com is the online is the online processor, peer to peer processor that allows that. From a speed capability and the fastness of the transaction, you can do it from your phone to my phone literally in seconds. Hmm. And it's not backed up by a third party. That's why, as we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, Lane, you have a lot of fear from, from the governmental standpoint because it's not controlled by any one government. You have a lot of fear in the corporate boardrooms because what's going to happen to Visa, MasterCard, and the other payment processors, they're either going to have to adapt or they're going to die. I mean, that, that's, 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 just, that's just business. I mean, that, that's capitalism. You move forward. You, I mean, look at, look at Kodak. Look at Polaroid. They literally almost went out of business when digital photography became popular. Now, Polaroid, you know, Kodak just released a Bitcoin mining machine. <laughs> I mean, talk about being proactive and, and, and taking the lead in your industry. Kodak actually came out with a Bitcoin mining machine where you can buy a Kodak Bitcoin mining machine mine bitcoins and if you're an artist you actually get paid in uh bitcoin through this through the mining machine it's what does actually the mining machine do that's a good question because we talked earlier about the different technologies underlying bitcoin and how the technology was a cryptography uh, technology of the complex mathematical equation and as we mentioned earlier 
you can obtain Bitcoin. There basically there's a couple different ways of attaining Bitcoin. Number one, you can buy it on Coinbase.com. So number one, you buy Bitcoin. There's basically six different ways to acquire Bitcoin, and that's what we include in my course. But I'll go over the two most, the two of them right now. Number one, you can buy it, or number two, you can mine it. And mining is going to Bitcoin.com, download a specific software program. You can allocate a certain percentage of your CPU of your computer, your interface graphics card, to start mining Bitcoin. Within 30 or 60 or 90 days, you may have 0.111112 Bitcoin in your Bitcoin wallet that, when I say mined, you're basically taking your power of your computer, the computational power of your computer, and attempting to solve that cryptographer, the algorithm that will reward you 12 Bitcoins, okay? So when you spend energy to solve an algorithm on the Bitcoin protocol, and if you solve that algorithm for spending that energy, you get rewarded 12 Bitcoin, but you also, all those transactions that are waiting to be confirmed, that's how a block is created. Basically, you're lending your hard drive or your processor to help out the other people making transactions. That's exactly right. And for doing that, you receive a small fee for that. So you receive a small fee, and if you solve the problem or the, the equation for a particular block, you get 12 Bitcoin. That's exactly right. How lucrative is this? I mean, why doesn't somebody just get 100 computers and just start mining all day long? You can do that. That's, that's what they call Bitcoin mining. And if you go to YouTube and type in Bitcoin mining farm, I mean, China, China basically, unfortunately for the U.S. and Canada, China really took the lead in the Bitcoin mining. Because number one, it takes a lot of energy to you know, mine a Bitcoin. It takes a lot of energy to do anything nowadays. Fortunately for China, unfortunately for the U.S., China has a lot of, has a lot of open land, number one. They've already built out a lot of their in infrastructure. And a lot of the mining, the Bitcoin mining farms, quote unquote, literally have thousands upon thousands of specialized pieces of computer um, hardware that are literally lined up, but they're using the hydro, the hydro dams to get the energy. So in essence, all the energy created by the hydro dams, because the Chinese population has not moved, because they're as you know, they're trying to get the Chinese population to move from the city out to the rural area, but bring the technology with them, not the rural area where there's no technology, low cost of living. So they've built a number of hydro dams, and a lot of the Mining farms in China are using this zero, no-cost hydro dams, getting the credits back from the Chinese government to mine Bitcoin. So fortunately for China, they did that. Unfortunately for the U.S., because our, our electricity cost is high, we cannot compete, which means there, there was a brain drain from resources and technology and smart people, basically, the brain drain that would have been here in the U.S. that actually created in China which is unfortunate for the U.S. With our, with our future competitivity, not only here in the U.S., but across the globe for anything that's technologically advanced. Is this pretty lucrative then, or is this kind of like you buy a $3,000 computer, you spend a dollar a day on electricity in hopes to make a nickel? Well, there's two different ways you can do it. Seven, eight years ago, you could, you could do what you just mentioned, Lane, because there wasn't, much con there wasn't much competition. The hash rate or the difficulty rate to solve a 
uh, algorithm for a certain block was very low compared to today. So you could what they call solo mine with what you just mentioned. You can go out and drop, you know, fifteen hundred bucks, buy a mining machine, connect it up in the bathroom, and let it mine. And you, you know, five, ten years ago, you could probably mine one or two Bitcoin a day, but they were only worth fifty to seventy-five dollars. Okay. Now, since people realize that it's very lucrative to do it because a current block you can you would you would receive twelve and a half bitcoin when you solve a block bitcoin is trading at it was let's say twenty thousand dollars it's trading at about thirteen fourteen thousand dollars but let's say twenty thousand dollars you just mine twelve and a half blocks i mean that's twenty five grand just to just to plug something into the wall that's where unfortunately the u s lost its competitive advantage and competitive ability when china was able to use their hydro dams. But no, go to youtube.com, type in um, Bitcoin mining farms, and you will literally see three-story warehouses, 50,000 square foot warehouses in China full of Bitcoin mining equipment. That's all they do. Uh, and so some of those miners are pulling in three and four and $5 million a day at market value of Bitcoin mining. So if you, know, if, if you were a guy in America with your laptop making 75 bucks, you know, back then, what you, would you be making today with all the extra competition? Probably nothing. <laughs> Probably nothing, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> but, but, but you can do a mining pool where there's, you know, there's, there's a hundred other guys with their laptop and they just basically pool all of their resources together. So instead of, you know, mining one one hundredth of a, of a hash difficulty capability, now you're mining... 1% of a hash difficulty mining capability. So it gives you a little bit more shot to solve a block and get 12 and a half Bitcoin. And then when all 100 of those miners solve that block, the mining pool automatically divides that 12 and a half Bitcoin amongst the 100 different participants of that block or excuse me, of that pool to reward you for that block. Huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely a clever way of, you know, and instead of having all the servers in one place, you know, like how Amazon does or Google does, paying for all those costs to spread the costs amongst the people. And well, exactly right. And then if you think about the, if you think about, think about the cloud, you just hit the nail right on the head. There's a coin called SIA, S-I-A, SIA, yeah, S-I-A, or S-A-I, S-I-A. I'm dyslexic, so I get, kind of get those mixed up sometimes. <laughs> but anyways, SIA coin. Basically what they're doing is it's basically cloud storage on steroids. So as you mentioned, Amazon keeps all their storage in one spot. Google keeps all their, you know, of course, they're farmed out in different locations around the U.S. for risk and so on and so forth. But SciaCoin, their blockchain, let's say you have a, a computer with, you know, a five tig hard drive, okay? You're only using two tig of your hard drive. You can allocate the other three tig of your hard drive to the SIA blockchain that three tig of unused space on your computer. Now just imagine this. And there's a thousand other people with three tig of unused space on their computers. Now you have a thousand times three tig. That's 3000 tig where now me as a business owner, I want to pay, I don't know, let's Google for example. And I don't know what their cost is. Let's say it's a hundred dollars a month for a hundred tig. Let's say whatever. I can go to the SIA blockchain and since it's spread out amongst a number of different users, the storage, that 100 tig may only cost me 10 bucks a month, but all my information is not in one spot. So if John Smith, his computer gets hacked in Aurora, Illinois, it doesn't affect my storage because he's only getting one-tenth of one one-hundredth of my critical information that's stored on the SIA blockchain. 
And in return for me allowing the SIA blockchain to use storage on my computer, I get paid in SIA coin. That's what drives the value of the underlying coin. Does that make sense? Mm, interesting. So each different blockchain during our, at the very beginning of our time together, you know, we were, we were talking about what drives blockchain, why is there so many different ones? That's a good example of a different blockchain technology by SIA coin compared to Ethereum or Bitcoin. Oh. So, I mean, so there's, uh, truthfully, that, when I started reading about this, Lane, that's what really got me excited was the technology. It's, it's because, I mean, the internet, yes, is, is as amazing, but this is the next generation. For anyone who didn't participate in the internet from an age standpoint or interest standpoint, truthfully, this is our next best shot. Yeah. All right, Andy. Well, you want to give your contact information for people to get a hold of you? Sure, sure. Yeah, again, it's Andy LaPointe, BitcoinLearningCenters.com. And that's a complete course that we put together for taking individuals on understanding cryptocurrency. What is it? The types of cryptocurrencies available, how to open an account, how to invest in an account, as well as the, you know, what, what, what's the next five and 10 years going to bring in predictions? Because as you know, when you invest, you always want to look ahead. So when the folks that are listening to us, when they look ahead, again, look at the top, top, top 10 or 15 cryptos for market capitalization. Number two, look ahead for the different niches to be in, especially for, for crypto 3.0. And you want to look at blockchain technologies that do solve a number of different areas. And some of those areas, I'm just going to go over a few, is going to be anything that has to do with biotech and medical. Also, video games is going to be absolutely huge. And then just another one is the virtual reality, augmented reality technology. And there's blockchain technologies out there that do that. But more importantly, and that's, that's what I cover in my course, everything that we talked about, as well as how to build out portfolios and what, where to position yourself for the next one, three, and five years for, for crypto investing. All right, Andy. Well, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the line and enlightening. I've never heard about the, uh, the mining thing before, but I don't really want to make this house hotter than it really is. Thanks again. <laughs> I appreciate it, Lane. Thank you very much. Again, Andy LaPointe with BitcoinLearningCenters.com. All right, and we'll see you guys next time. Make sure you guys uh, set up a call with me and shoot me an email, lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.